For those who fish, this is the Drake cast. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. Could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. This episode of the Drake Cast is brought to you by Scott Flyrods. Rooster Levens is a guide and the owner of Stonefly Inn and Outfitters in Twin Bridges, Montana. He told me why he has faith in Scott Flyrods. Jim Barsky and his crew uses professionals in the industry from step one on designing a rod. Before they get released to the public, we've had them for six, seven months, and he takes a big field of intel from guys like me that break a lot of stuff. Then they go to work to make them look pretty, and then they sell them. So uh, as a result, you end up with a better, you end up with a better product. You can't argue with that. You can find Scott Fly Rods at your local fly shop or scottflyrod.com. This episode is also brought to you by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. This is Jim Klug with Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. This week's feature destination is Belize. Easy to get there. Belize is ideal for anglers who are new or relatively new to saltwater, great for families or couples, and incredibly diverse when it comes to fishing, with opportunities for bonefish, permit, tarpon, snook, and more. Give us a call here at Yellow Dog or visit us online at yellowdogflyfishing.com. And remember that while there's a lot of ways to get there, there's only one way to do it right. Alrighty, on to the show. In the first two episodes of this podcast, we listened to some gnarly tunes in Wisconsin and learned about the resilience of a town in Tennessee. This episode takes us back to the Great Lakes region. Our focus, the mighty Pierre Marquette River, or as it's locally known, the PM. A friend of a friend of a friend had a house up there, and a friend of his had a boat. So I decided to make the trip. Introducing the friend thrice removed. For the love of God, give me a lighter. You want a brewski? Preston Marson. Preston occasionally writes for the Drake. A few years ago, you may remember a piece he wrote on a Scooby-Doo van that he found down in South America that he claimed was Clyde's girlfriend and his friend with the boat. I'm Donnie Richards, I work for Old Osabo Fly Shop. Donnie guides most of the year out of Grayling, Michigan, but in the winter, you'll find him on the Pier Marquette River chasing Great Lakes steelhead. And that's why I was here. There's a lot of debate about the merits of Great Lakes steelhead, but we're not gonna get into that. I was in Michigan to see somebody catch a big ol' pseudo-anadromous rainbow and appreciate the Pier Marquette River. I met Donnie and Preston on a chilly January morning on the banks of the Pier Marquette. They had put in upstream a few hours earlier while I dealt with some car troubles. I hopped in as they floated by. You know that lap, you know the water on the hull? Mm-hmm. It's the best sound in the world. One year <laughs> paddling to your first spot of the day. And it's like all that anticipation and everything. Day's fresh, you're fresh. A warm spell in January brought water levels up, but we also figured that the high water brought new fish into the river. The goal here was to land a steelhead on a swung fly. Actually, Donnie had swung up a nice male steelhead before I even got in the boat. This was a fact that he wasn't about to let us forget. You fish the last one, right? No, you fish this. I don't want to fish it. I got my fish already, man. I know you did. As Preston swung the first couple runs, I asked Donnie why he insisted on making the fishing harder by swinging flies with a switch rod. Uh, besides, it's just awesome, um, and it's a great way to fish a steelhead, and it's a good way to honor the, the forefathers of the sport. Now, from more of a technical perspective, 
Yeah, we're fishing a river that in normal flows might be 50 feet wide. And because the holding lines are so narrow, we have to make very acute angle downstream casts to get the fly sunk and to get the fly swinging at a perpendicular angle through that really small narrow area. So with the switch rod, you can make those, those longer casts at a downstream angle without worrying about your back cast. And you know, the tug's nice too, so. Long ago, the PM was known to the native tribes as, pardon my pronunciation, not a pickagon, meaning heads on sticks. Legend tells of a great battle that ended with the victor skewering the heads of the vanquished enemy on sticks along the riverbank. Nice. In 1675, some semi-famous French dude died at the mouth of the river, and they changed the name to the Pierre Marquette. By that point, native populations were in no place to object. After settlers pushed the native tribes out, they chose a new population to eradicate. Their target? The native grayling that had called the river home since the last ice age. Deforestation took its toll, but so did the introduction of non-native species. In the second half of the 19th century, brook trout, then rainbows, and then browns pushed the grayling out. Though the brown trout may have contributed to the extinction of a native species, brown trout also have a pretty special history in these parts. Here's Donnie. This is the railroad bridge where the first trout were introduced uh, to Michigan and supposedly North America. And when he says trout, he means brown trout. Um, the story is the rail car was heading north of here to another river to drop the trout. And uh, the holding tanks for the trout got way too warm, so the biologist hopped out of the train and uh, came down to the river. And through the water was good enough for the trout. It was really their only option, so they dumped the trout here in the Pier Marquette. And uh, that was the beginning of the, uh, the, the trout in, in North America. So a pretty special spot right here where it all began. Look, there's one right there. <laughs> <laughs> a story that good begs to be fact-checked. Turns out the first brown trout released in North America were actually dumped just a few miles away in the Baldwin River, a tributary to the PM. But in Donnie's defense, the Baldwin River used to be known as the North Branch of the Pure Marquette. But before there were browns, the state of Michigan introduced a strain of rainbows from California's McLeod River to the PM. Mark Tonello, the DNR fisheries biologist who manages the PM, filled me in on how the rainbows took to the river. Fish Division, this is Mark. Hello, Mr. Tonello. Yep. Hey, this is Elliot calling. The first steelhead were planted in the PM in 1876, but steelhead from other rivers also colonized the PM. I mean, the Pier Marquette is a phenomenal steelhead stream. I guarantee you that as soon as they found the PM, they went, oh boy, this is, you know, we like this place. We're spawning here, and we'll go out to the big lake, and then we'll come back. I'm sure within a couple of years of them finding that river, whether they were stocked in there or whether they strayed from other places, you know, you had a pretty strong wild component, you know, right off the bat. The state continued to stock steelhead in the main branch of the PM through the 1970s, but since then, they've hardly stocked the river at all. Though Michigan has faced huge budget shortfalls for the past decade, stocking didn't stop due to financial constraints. Here's Preston. This river is just a huge spring creek. That's all it is. The habitat is so rich, and so there's no point in stocking anything. As Donnie, Preston, and I paddled down the PM, we liked to think that we were chasing the descendants of those California fish introduced over a century ago. We continued through a couple deep holes that weren't swingable, but at the top of the next inviting run, 
Donnie dropped the anchor. It was now my turn. Done much spay fishing? No, I haven't done any spay fishing. Oh. Well, this is going to be great. Are you sure you're not a two-hander today? You're going to have a blast. Donnie was very gentle as he gradually introduced me to the swinging lifestyle. So, the first step of the spay cast is your set. So you're going to get your anchor upstream here, okay? So, what we're going to do is we're going to... My first few casts were atrocious. For that matter, almost all of my casts were atrocious. One little trick for setting that anchor, I just lift that rod basically up and... I... Thankfully, the PM's a very forgiving river, and Donnie and Preston are patient instructors. Yeah, you're, you're getting there. Better. After too many attempts to count, I finally got in a decent cast. That's where we're getting on, on the anchor. Did you have yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, what did I do? I f***ed up somehow. Okay, what's so... The, how, what's the hook set? What the f***, really? <laughs> yeah. Nice, dude. Was nice, it like, nice, nice. Was it was like... Like, like that? Yeah, like That's that. a steelhead. Oh! Well, there's a steelhead in this so, hole. When I felt the hit, I didn't wait long enough for the fish to commit to the fly, and I foolishly ripped my line out of the water. Kind of so this is the thing, if that was a fish, yeah. I mean, the way you reacted, I'm pretty sure it was, we're going to make the same cast and same everything okay. and just see same if we can get them to go. And let them, you know, take your time and let them eat that fly. A couple years ago, a friend of mine went deer hunting for the first time. After only 20 minutes in his deer stand, the buck of a lifetime walked into a clearing just 40 yards away. The hunter shouldered the gun, centered the deer in the crosshairs, and pulled the trigger. He had forgotten to put a bullet in the chamber. He never even got a shot off. Tyler, I now know how it feels, man. I fished the run for another five minutes before stepping away from the rod. We gotta get somebody catching a fish on tape, and I'm gonna f*** it up. Donnie rose to the occasion. Just kick your beer cans out of the way. Horseshit out of here. Sometimes, to catch a fish, you gotta think like a fish. It runs a lot of times, you can like keep pushing those fish back, keep pushing them back into the run until you get to that tail out. And then, you know, and then at that point, that you either gotta like run or eat the fly. So, Donnie hopped out of the boat and worked his way towards the tail out, looking for that fish to either run or eat the fly. While I wallowed in my shame, Donnie hooked up. There he is. There he is. The fish launched into a heroic jump, and just like that, the line went slack. We continued down the river. From the Highway 37 put-in down to our takeout at Gleason's Landing, this section of the PM is flies only and no kill. From there on down to Lake Michigan, fishermen are invited to harvest three steelhead per day. Since there's no weir on the PM, no one knows exactly how many fish annually make it up the river, but I've heard estimates in the five to 10,000 range. I wondered if this was an appropriate bag limit for such a run. So I posed the question to fisheries biologist, Mark Tanello. So with the present limit that we have right now, three per day, from a biological perspective, we do not need to change the regulation at all. Simple as that. We get plenty of reproduction. There are plenty of steelhead getting up into all the tributaries, finding all the gravel on the main stem and spawning, and producing an absolute bazillion young of the year. You know, we electrofish the river on a regular basis, so you know I'm constantly seeing what's produced. And the three fish per day limit is absolutely sufficient to biologically protect the resource. Donnie wasn't exactly on the same page. The biggest problem I have with them is they can kill three fish. I think a little too much. And I wish that was limited to like one. 
but they're within the bounds of the law, so what do you do? To get a third perspective, I reached out to another PM guide. Devin Carr runs H2O Charters and has been fishing the PM for over 20 years. He weighed in on the current bag limit. I mean, I don't have anything against people keeping fish that they catch, but given that our river is purely natural reproducing and is no longer planted with steelhead, I'm not a huge fan of it. My concern is the future. The river is becoming a lot more crowded. The river can only hold so much fish. Um, I wouldn't be opposed if they like did like a one steelhead bag limit. Devin advocated for preventative regulations to guarantee healthy, future steelhead populations. After all, the underwater ecosystem is rapidly changing, and it's taking its toll on the fish. Here's Mark Tonello talking about how Lake Michigan, the place where PM steelhead spend a large part of their life cycle, has transformed in the past three decades. What happened in uh, the late 1990s was quagga mussels showed up. So they have taken over the lake, and they are filter feeders and they cleared up the lake. Visibility in Lake Michigan it immediately changed and got the lake got clearer. Which sounds like a good thing, but we're talking about really clear. Too clear. Quagga mussels have basically removed a lot of the productivity from the water column. You see, you've got a lake now that's just it's more sterile. Less productivity in Lake Michigan means there's less food available for the steelhead when they're supposed to be packing on the pounds. Additionally, this change in Lake Michigan has really hurt the Chinook salmon populations. And now that there aren't as many salmon to go around, anglers have started targeting steelhead in greater numbers. This topic alone is worthy of its own episode, so I won't do you a disservice by trying to go any deeper right now. But the takeaway is that Lake Michigan is dramatically changing. And for the steelhead, this change is for the worse. But despite all the forces working against the Great Lakes steelhead, each year they keep coming back to the PM. Our time on the water was coming to an end. Light filtered through the leafless trees as the sun began to set. Air temperature hung around 32 degrees and the water wasn't much warmer. We decided to fish one final run before calling it a day. Preston and I agreed to let Donnie give it a go. A meager reward for him rowing us all day. Seconds after his fly hit the water, I was scrambling for my microphone. He's big, dude. Nice fish. Calm fish. I'll get him back to you, dude. Just stay right there. A couple nice jumps, and the fish was right next to the boat. Deep. I just can't strip down anymore. No, I hear that. There he is. You knew when the fly just popped out right in there. Yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> we're lucky, man. Oh. That's a giant fish. It's a nice buck. That'll do. That'll do. That'll do. That makes the day right there. We got him. Can't ask for much better. Well, that tail is fat. You can barely get a hand around it. It's a good fish. Yeah. Double striper, man. That's beautiful. Cool. A quick picture or two, and the fish was ready to go. He's, ready. He's out. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> We each cracked open a fine Labatt blue light and topped off Donnie's success with mentholated tobacco. By the time we reached the takeout, three fish had made it in the boat. In addition to Donnie's two steelhead, there was a small brown in the middle of the day that didn't quite make it on tape. Donnie may have caught all the fish, but it was a group effort. That's what Preston and I told ourselves at least. 
That night, we headed into the town of Baldwin and enjoyed some sizable wings at the log bar. We had the place to ourselves. We retold stories from the day, even though we had all been there. None of us seemed to mind. I asked Mark Tonello if he had any closing thoughts on the PM. It's a phenomenal river. It's a phenomenal resource. It is. It, it is awesome. I mean, I love the PM. And for me to have the privilege of managing a river like the PM is just unbelievable for a fish biologist. This was one issue on which Donnie and Mark could agree. So compared to like the bigger rivers in Michigan, you know, a lot of times you don't catch as many fish, but the fish you do catch are, are well-deserved and, and they mean a lot. And the chances are it's a wild fish. So that's, that's what makes the Pier Marquette special for me. And that's why I'll probably fish till I die. You can see photos of Donnie's fish and other snapshots from our time on the PM at the Drake's website, drakemag.com. Stick around until the end for scenes from our next episode and this week's field notes. Time for some thank yous. First and foremost, thanks to Donnie and Preston for showing me a good time. Mark Tonello, thanks for filling me in on the biological side of this whole thing. Even though you're a bait chucker, I can probably still get you the Fly Fisherman's Raid on the magazine. And finally, thanks to Devin Carr at H2O Charters for chatting on the phone with me. Want to make sure you never miss an episode of the Drake Cast? Well, it's easy. Whip out your smartphone, go to your favorite podcasting app, and type in DrakeCast. One word, DrakeCast. One word. Click subscribe. This will automatically update you when we release a new episode each week. Our title track is Ain't It Sweet, courtesy of the artist Phil Cook. Additional music in this episode by the daredevil Christopher Wright, courtesy of File Under Music. The talented Keegan Lynch designed our logo. Time for this week's field notes. The other day, I called up Donnie Richards <laughs> to see how the fishing has been. He's on the Osable River in Michigan this time of year. The fishing is really good and the fish are healthy. We're getting into the tail end of drakes. Like the last couple nights, we had some really good in spinner falls, but there wasn't really much hatching, which indicates that drakes are pretty much over. But today is looking like a really good ISO day. It's going to be a little bit cooler, but it's going to have some potential for thunderstorms. And with those thunderstorms, there could be some really good midday hatching for ISOs. So pretty stoked for that this afternoon. And he's been doing quite a bit of night fishing lately. Those brown drakes, they're going to spin and lay their eggs right at dusk and in the dark. And then once you get past dark a little bit, towards like 11, 11.30, you'll get a hatch. So a lot of times we'll fish those drakes until 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And then once we get to hatch, sometimes we'll even see that sunrise, which is pretty cool to be out there all night. Quick plug, Donnie Richards is a phenomenal guide. If you're considering a trip down the PM, the Osable, or the Upper Manistee, look him up. He can be reached through the old Osable fly shop. Ask for Donnie. Next week, you get to meet one of Michigan's finest law enforcement officers and hear Clyde's side of this whole story. I just got off the phone with Tom by, and as soon as I hung up the phone with Tom, uh, got the flashing red, white, and blue behind me, and the cop just came and took my license. Tell him that you're in Shelbyville, Michigan. Okay, great. And then uh, we'll be able to get you cooked up. If you have any problems, just call 911, okay? Hey, thank you very much. All right, yeah, take it easy. Thanks for listening. This has been the Drake Cast.